Welcome back to Limited Time Only, Episode 3. I'm your host, Hayden Dale of Arsenal Pass, and this is a limited podcast about all things, of course, limited in the world of flesh and blood. This is Season 1, The Outsiders Season, where each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about Outsiders Draft, Sealed, and, and just all things limited when it comes to the Outsiders set in flesh and blood. Now, this week we've got a great episode with a community icon, someone a lot of you will know, uh, a face of... Maybe the Timmies, some would say, the tall Timmy himself, a local to myself here in Sydney, Australia, who joins me to talk a bit about first week of draft and his love for flesh and blood draft and particularly outsiders, someone who's already done over half a dozen drafts and has a lot to say about this format and learnings from a bit more of maybe, you know, that less full competitive standpoint. But we do talk a lot about our learnings in week one and draft. We even got to do a draft together last Wednesday, which was fantastic. Before I get into that, I do just want to shout out as well. Uh... Massive thank you to everyone who's been tuning in to check out Limited Time Only already, episodes one and two. Last week, of course, we had Nick Butcher, the week before, Yuan G. Lee, and our sort of pre-release primer. We are available on YouTube as well as all podcast services, so uh, you can check us out either on the video or just listen to the podcast if that's what you prefer. They're all out there. Any reviews also help us a lot. It is on the main Arsenal Pass feed, and uh, if you're not already liked and subscribed to the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel, then, then of course do that as well. So... Now, there's a few things I want to talk about before we get into this week's pod and to our guest uh, with the tall Timmy, Paul, joining me. And uh, one of the things that's been kind of talked about widely over this past week is distribution of outsiders and collation of cards and sets. Now, if you haven't already seen this, some crazy boxes and cases have been opened with lots of Rainbow Foil legendaries in them. A lot of them, like every second pack kind of thing, you know, 40 odd legendaries in a case. So... LSS have done an announcement to say that uh, this was a, a print run error. There was a, a swap for a short time of the printing uh, in the Belgian factory where Rainbow Foils, Rainbow Foil Legendaries rather, went onto the Rainbow Foil common run. And uh, that resulted in more Rainbow Foil Legendaries, about, they estimate 0.4% to 0.8% more than they uh, had planned for to go into packs. And these are clumped in these these now being coined God boxes or cases, uh, as you might have seen on, on Twitter or Facebook or Discord or wherever it might be. So, uh, I mean, the, the news, the good news is, I guess, is that they know the issue. They know that it's isolated to these particular small amount of, of runs and that it doesn't impact you know the long-term sort of printing of Outsiders and uh, it doesn't impact the majority of Outsiders print run from the Belgian. The thing I want to talk about is in relation to flesh and blood draft into outsiders and to sealed of course as well and that is the differences between the print runs of belgian so the belgian print runs and the japanese print runs the two product print runs that we currently have for outsiders now a lot has been talked about with these rainbow foil legendaries and the fables of course as well these these god boxes of course like i just talked about and these these crazy collations that people have seen and now we have an answer to that the one we don't have an answer to yet and the one that i think if if you like me or are, are a lover of draft someone maybe going to the pro tour maybe you're going to be playing skirmish season road to national season very soon which will also feature limited there's a bit of a concern that i have between the belgian print runs and the japanese print runs and that they are different the distribution of cards is different so i wanted to give a little bit of an understanding of what this is for those that maybe haven't seen it i've been asking some questions on twitter i have reached out to uh through twitter to some of the lss devs to understand a bit about this print run and i understand that chris gearing maybe who is lead developer lss may well be publishing an article in the coming week on some of the differences between belgium and japanese print runs and as as and i quote from his tweet limitations of printers at the factory that that is uh what i've led to understand has led to these differences in the print runs so if you're not familiar, what it looks like is uh, the we know all the issues with the Belgian print run with the legendaries, but aside from that, the, the distribution of the packs look different. So the Belgian packs look like this, basically. You will have uh, three to four generic commons at the front of your pack. You will then have five to six class commons directly after those. And these can be anywhere from zero to three of the class. So you could have, you know, a two, say you have four generics, then you could have a two, two, one split, two ninja, two assassin, one ranger. Or you could have three ranger and two assassin, for instance, and no ninja. So there is some real variance in what you could have. Uh, you could also, of course, have six class commons. Two, two, two does look like quite a common split. Then when you get to, then you have uh, either two of a hybrid common or a rare in the next two card slots. So either a hybrid common or a rare. Uh, and then you will have one rare slash majestic. And that is guaranteed. So you, you always have one rare in your pack but you could have two rares and a hybrid or you could have three rares in your pack 
And then after that, you'll have a common piece of equipment and then the rainbow foil card, uh, which, you know, if you've opened one of those god boxes of Belgian packs, then, um, you know, hopefully it's a rainbow foil legendary for you, all, all the better for it. But otherwise, mostly going to be a rainbow foil common. And that is that is what the pack distribution looks like. And then you have your two tokens. One of those can be the coal foil, which replaces a token slot. Um, now, this this differs. So basically, the, the be-all and end-all of this Belgian print run is that you can have three to four common generics, and then you can have five to six class commons, and you can have zero to three of a class common. You can then have one to three rares, and zero to uh, one hybrid, I understand it. Uh, sorry, zero to two hybrids, taking those slots. The Japanese print run is a little bit more... Uh, limited it's a bit it's a bit narrower the distribution field the the width of the distribution and what you can expect is, is a bit a bit narrower so of course 14 cards still in your pack the first nine cards won't be in order like they are with the belgian print run which is ah, it's a little bit annoying means you have to sort it but it's fine the first nine cards will be class slash generic common so still nine commons at the front of the pack these will either still be three to four generics and then you will have uh five to six class commons so still still the same now, with this, majority of the time, and from what I've, I've seen from opening and the collation and the data I've seen, it's about 50-50, maybe slightly more where you have uh, th uh, four generics, but it's about 50-50, three to four generics, and then five to six class cards. But when you have six class cards, the overwhelming majority of the time, it is a two-two-two split, basically almost always. And there is uh, one exception to this, and it looks like about one pack per box, you're going to get three of a class two of another class and then one of the other class but you'll minimum get one of a class common i have not seen a pack that does not have representation of a class common so this is very different to what you see with the belgian packs where quite frequently you see no representation of a class common in in those uh generic and those commons at the start of the pack so that's that's a real big difference already from the japanese packs and then next you so you have yeah as i say your three to four generics and then you have uh mixed in with those your five to six class commons and it's i've also yeah, as I say, very rarely are you seeing one in about a box where you're seeing these three class commons and never seeing less than one, never zero of a class common. Then you have your hybrid card. You always have one hybrid card in Japanese. This differs to the Belgian packs where you can have zero to two hybrids and they are replaced with rares. Those are interchangeable spots. It's always one hybrid common, always. Have not seen it be without it. And always exactly two rares. So no one rare packs, no three rare packs, always two rares or majestic. Those take the same slot. Same as it is for, for the Belgian packs. And then uh, you, of course, have your equipment. Uh, same always common piece of equipment. Then you have your rainbow foil, your two tokens. One could be coal foil. So the pack distribution looks fairly similar, apart from these two big things, which is the class commons can be can be different. So you, in Japanese packs, you, can, you always get one of a class common. In Belgian packs, you can have zero. You can have three more commonly. And very rarely in the Japanese packs, we have three. And then the rares, always two rares, always one hybrid in Japanese, whereas you have one to three rares and zero to two hybrid in the Belgian pack. So I just want to point that out because the, the big thing about this is that it's really going to lead to some discrepancies in draft, especially for players heading to the Pro Tour very soon. What do you practice with? How do we know at the Pro Tour what pack distribution is going to be used? Is it the Belgian pack distribution or is it the Japanese pack distribution? What are the packs they're going to be opening? They do repack, if you're not aware, they repack for Pro Tour. So they open the packs, make sure there's no misprints or whatever you know, crazy rainbow foil boxes, stamp the cards and then put them into a resealed like envelope, uh, little LSS envelopes that you can open them and they're all sorted, ready to go at the PT. Uh, this is what they've done at the last PT as well in Lille and uh, for Worlds. So that's what we would expect to see again. But if I'm practicing for the Pro Tour, if people out there practicing for the Pro Tour, how do you know whether to be using Belgian print run or Japanese print run? Am I going to expect to see one to three rares in my pack? Am I expect to see zero class commons in a lot of packs, three class commons in packs? And, and that's kind of where I think some of this, uh, the unknown is currently sitting. So I'm really hoping that in the next week, LSS will clarify this because in my experience, knowing pack distribution is a really big advantage to reading signals and sending signals. It's going to be less impactful than uprising because of the, the distribution is a little bit more varied. Uh, even in the Japanese packs than it was in Uprising. But it is it is really important to know. So stay tuned. We'll definitely be talking about this more through limited time in the next couple of weeks. And I do want to harp on. Now, the, the reason I do just want to give a few things, the reason I think understanding pack distribution is really important is, like I say, it allows you to read signals. So I'll use an example. If a hybrid, if you get past after pack, pick one, pack one, pick one, and there's no hybrid card in your Japanese pack, you, you know there was a hybrid card in there. You absolutely know there's always one hybrid common in there, exactly one. And if that card's gone, well, you know what the person to your right took. If that same pack comes to you in a Belgian pack, you don't know if it was a rare, if it was a hybrid card, you, you don't know. 
consequently, or conversely as well, let's say another example, pack one, pick one, or even let's use pick two. You should pick two with the Japanese pack. There is zero of a class common in there. There's two two cards missing. You know, there's three generics, and there's four uh, and there's four class commons left. So there's been either a generic and a class common taken. How do you know what class it is? It, if you know that it could have been because of the the Belgian print runs, there could have been zero of that that's ninja in those packs anyway to start with. So was there three of something else? It, it's it's really hard to know. So I think the Japanese print run is my preferred. If if we're using this for draft, there's a, a bit of an easier way to tell what's in packs. It gives you more information. I think it gives you this ability to read packs more, which I think is a skill in Flesh and Blood and draft. So yeah, I'm really excited to see, well, excited. I'm anticipating to see what LSS will announce in regards to these print runs. Anyway, that's my piece on Outsiders draft distribution and packs. For the main topic of the pod or my interview this week, my guest this week, it is The Tall Timmy. I do want to shout out The Tall Timmy. If you're not following him on YouTube, go and check him out. He does some amazing stuff. He's a very funny guy. He's a very genuine dude. One of the the people that I've met who just loves flesh and blood and loves trading card games and loves the community and does a lot for it. So make sure to go check him out. Follow him on Twitter as well. His handle will be on the uh, this part of the video, but it is at the tall to me one on Twitter. And uh, with that said, let's get into it and speak with Paul. Episode three of Limited Time Only, and I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming someone that I call not only a friend, because we are local to each other, which I'm very lucky to have him here, but an amazing member of the Fish and Blood community. It is the tall to me. Welcome to Limited Time Only. Oh, cheers for having me on, Hayden. This is a very good morning indeed. And um, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for the call up. Now, for I mean, for those that don't know you, I mean, I don't know why they at this point wouldn't know who you are, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about who you are and, uh, and what you do in the world of flesh and blood. Awesome. Um, my name's Paul. I live in Sydney, Australia. Uh, father of three uh, kids that keep me on my toes. And I love flesh and blood TCGs. I've uh, been playing them since I was a very little child. And um, when I first got into flesh and blood, I created a, a YouTube channel, a smallish channel called The Tall Timmy, uh, where we talk about all things flesh and blood. Uh, it's a bit of a variety show. So check it out uh, you might find something that you enjoy team right team yeah <laughs> yeah please do go and check out the talk to me youtube channel if you haven't already uh paul documents all things including you know bath time pack openings so just just saying outsiders draft now you have been absolutely fiending for outsiders draft i know because there is multiple groups that we're in together. We've even had direct messages where you're saying draft, draft question mark, draft question mark, draft tonight. Can we do a draft this weekend? I'm going to try and fit a draft in at this time. So how many Outsiders drafts have you done thus far? And, and, and what's your first thoughts on the format? Awesome. Well, um, I did the four pre-releases and I've done six drafts and I believe tonight will be number seven. Uh, I think the format is amazing. Um, I'm not the most experienced uh, drafter in Flesh and Blood. I did a lot of limited in Magic. Um, I uh, six-owed um, twice in Magic Nationals for draft, so I, I felt feel like I am a fairly competent drafter, especially in MTG. Um, I really enjoyed grinding uh, Magic Online drafts for quite a while, um, and. I think outs. So my experience with flesh and blood's not that great. I have drafted uprising a fair bit, as most people have, because the set's been out for nearly a year. I've done a couple of welcome to wraith drafts, and that's about it. So I guess not only do I think the you know the set is so enjoyable to draft. I think the fact Hayden that we haven't had a new draftable set in so long, um, and how much enjoyment the community's getting from it is just a testament that I believe um, how good it is, but also I think the game really needs to continue to move in this direction. I think um, having strong limited formats that come out a few times a year uh, is is really key to the game's uh, long-term success because there's plenty of people out there like myself that really, really live and breathe uh, limited when it comes to TCGs. Sure, we might like constructed too, but there's a whole uh, community within a community that just uh, really enjoy drafting, first and foremost. Yeah, in Europe, 
I mean, I got to say this, uh, Paul. He's he's a humble man because how did you qualify for nationals last year? Oh, nationals. Well, I did XP grind, but I did uh, I did come second. I top fought a couple of road to nats, and uh, one of them I was lucky enough to pair into uh, Hayden and uh, beat him in a draft. Uh, unfortunately, I thought I'd lost the draft because I forgot to start with the Phoenix in my graveyard, but that didn't matter. But look, Hayden, to be honest, I think that was quite early in the uprising set. I think back then I was fairly confident with how fire played out. And I don't think the community had quite cottoned on um, how to play around Fi. Um, as the meta evolved in Uprising Limited, I think uh, Fi became a little bit worse as people got more experienced in it. Um, but at that time, um, I think I was one step ahead of our, especially our local area when it came to drafting Uprising. Yeah. I mean, all this to say, really, I just want to point out that for those that, you know, they see maybe the, the Tall Timmy YouTube channel and they see, you know, Timmy, right? They think, Paul, he's the Tall Timmy. I would also say that, you know, you are someone that I think has, you know, dived headfirst into Flesh and Blood. You you love the game. I know how much you love Limited and you've put time and effort into improving not only as a as a player and a, a content creator, but, you know, you, you have, you've come such a long way. I know you had an amazing day one at Nationals uh, this year. It didn't, didn't quite pan out on, on day two for yourself. You've you know, top four, top two road to nationals and, and draft. You've, uh, you know, you've been there. ProQuest top eights this season just gone as well. I mean, you know, you are someone who I think maybe people see as, as a, I, I definitely see as a great community member for both the aspect of coming from it from a, a community standpoint, a player who is at the armories, who loves the LGS, but also, you know, does does get on the grind a little bit and uh, and does put their best foot forward to try. So par partly, I guess, selfishly, the reason I wanted you to come on Limited Time Only is to, you know, a lot of time we have, Purely competitive standpoints, I think, on on this channel, and I think having someone like yourself, who's I would call a hybrid of uh, competitive and the casual, but you know, you you definitely do, uh, I think, stand for that in this community. But so to hear your thoughts on outsiders and um, how much you've been loving this draft format is super exciting for me. Yeah, cheers, Hayden. I like to think I have the heart of a Spike and the mind of a Timmy. Um, <laughs> I, like to, I like to throw my hat in the ring and really test myself. You know, we play a competitive game and I liken, uh, you know, playing a TCG flesh and blood as, as an outlet, like a sport perhaps. Um, but, you know, sometimes I, uh, I get caught up in my own mind. You've seen me in games go in the tank um, more often than I should and make silly mistakes when I don't read the cards. But, no, Outsiders has been fantastic. I really think this is a rich draft environment. I think the meta within uh, Outsiders limited draft is going to evolve. I really think with the six heroes – um, LSF has created a uh, created environment that is going to evolve over time. Um, I think the inclusion of the hybrid cards is uh, very key to that. And I think we're going to see ebbs and flows in power levels between the uh, classes as, as the meta evolves. This format is very deep. That's kind of my first takeaway from the first week of draft. So I've, I'm less experienced than... And my my good mate Paul over here, the tall Timmy, he's done. You said six drafts already. I I've done three the, this past week. Um, but my first takeaway, and we've talked about this, and and sort of our group of of locals have talked about this. This format is gonna evolve, like you say, but it's also very very deep. I want to ask you. Let, let's jump into what what me and and the tall Timmy are gonna talk about today is our first takes on outsiders draft. Give us some of our tips and tricks, things that we're looking at, some of the strategies we think are, are worth pursuing, some that maybe we think are less viable. Some of the cards that have impressed us maybe not so much impressed us over the first week especially in different heroes and archetypes but before we jump into that what have you drafted so far what heroes what sort of archetypes have you drafted or linked towards so far sure i've drafted all the heroes except for azalea um so i haven't had a chance to draft azalea but i've drafted katsu benji azuri arachne um they all play out very different so my first um bit of advice out there for people is you really need to change your play style according to the hero you play okay i know that sounds obvious to probably a lot of the viewers here because you have a lot of great players that tune in but for you know timmy's like myself you really need to um, adapt your play style depending on the hero you play because they all play very differently. 
very differently. And if you try and uh, approach the game one size fits all, uh, you'll fall flat on your face. Yeah, this is not a format, you know, where I think you can chop and change and and say, you know, cookie cutter. Okay, I've got my fire deck and I want to be super, you know, I'm super redline and aggressive here. I've got the same game plan because even between the ninjas in this format, that game plan can look drastically different between how you know how you utilize your second combat chain link how you utilize your yellows versus how you utilize your blues and opposed to katsu where your blues are basically gonna be for blocking and pitching as opposed to in benji sometimes it can be really strategic pieces that allow you to uh push a big damage turn because of that unblockability you know the the hero ability on benji so even just that as an example that's before i even get into ranger wildly different you've got a riptide hero ability that gives you this free reload and allows you to play in a certain way whereas azalea on the other hand has to use the bow and the hero ability and is looking for a lot different sort of cards so yeah definitely my takeaway from week one as well is that i think each time you you draft i think you need to sit down with a plan of of you know if i'm going to fall into this hero what do i want my deck to roughly look like and how are my games actually going to play out and then that's i mean we can get down the road right uh but i think the next thing even beyond that is each matchup looks different even with the same deck that you've got your three rounds you could play against three different heroes and your games can look very very different even with the same 30 to 34 cards whatever it is uh, yeah exactly hey and i'd like to tack onto that that even within a game your game plan will need to change uh something that i don't think we saw a lot of in uprising uh, especially you know for us fire drafters but i found in um outsiders it's really key uh, you know, you have your early game, your mid game and your late game, and you might have to pivot quite hardly between uh, being aggressive to being defensively to, you know, uh, setting up unique hands, utilizing your arsenal, not utilizing your arsenal. Uh, you really need to uh, understand where the game's at, where the life totals are at, uh, what your opponent's pitching uh, it is very deep and you have to pay attention to things. You know, Hayden, you mentioned a, an important, um, in one of your previous episodes, Limited Time Only, you believe that Outsiders really rewards uh, tight play, maybe even more so than how good the deck that you draft. And I definitely agree with that. My first impressions are, don't get me wrong, you need to draft a decent deck. But I think if you are a very skilled flesh and blood player, even with a more average deck, you can definitely uh, three-hour pod. I think this set really rewards um, tight and crafty flesh and blood play. Yeah, one of the complaints about Uprising was that one, games looked very similar, game plans looked very homogenous. It was there wasn't much uh, choice and change. There wasn't archetypes really. There's a lot of archetypes in this, even beyond the six heroes themselves. You know, uh, mm -hmm. two different two binge decks could look wildly different. But the other thing as well is that. The other complaint was an uprising you know games won on lost in the die roll for some people it sort of felt the fire mirror could be won or lost in the die roll and then on turn zero and turn one and this is not that format yes you can you can have a big dominated azalea turn on turn zero or turn one and really set yourself up for success but because of the power level of the set uh the the, the ability to actually grind back into the game and i wouldn't say swing tempo it's more about grinding back into the game with small edges here and there you know utilizing your over the next five turns just grinding out one or two damage that maybe another player wouldn't be able to do uh or your opponent is kind of missing out on that can get you back into game so it is it is a super tight format and that was kind of mine and nick's sort of thoughts coming from sealed into draft and it, it, that is true it is maybe not as grindy as sealed but uh, and games can go a lot quicker there could be some sort of more explosive you know i think of azalea with dominated arrows i think of some of the things that benji can do some of the katsu lines but it is still a longer format than we've seen probably for the last two or three draft formats definitely agree i don't think there's a need to play the uh, 40 card decks in draft and you, you you will see games go to fatigue occasionally but it's not it's not normal uh like i think sealed it was it was fairly normal if you played a four round in sealed you know at least two of them would be going to fatigue um perhaps maybe one in every six games in draft so far has gone to fatigue for me um but don't get me wrong i do like especially with certain hero heroes if you can maybe going up to 33 cards 34 cards i don't think that's a that's a bad thing especially if they are playable um i think having a little bit of extra fat in your deck is where you want to be yeah i think one thing that's gonna be a common theme through the next the season one of limited time only and 
focusing on outsides limited is that there's going to be no absolutes and i think we've already kind of alluded to this with just how different the heroes are how different the archetypes are there's not going to be a, a one size fits all and i you know you talked about this already about just how deep the format is and we both have but to say that you know oh you should always play 34 you should never play more than 30 or you know 32 is a sweet spot that that, that just isn't going to be right for every single situation because it's going to depend on the power level of your deck it's going to depend on your game plan like I'll, I'll give an example right i had an azalea draft on the weekend and i oh three'd i oh three my azalea draft uh and <laughs> yeah yeah i did i threw the draft paul's giving me the eyes there and my big takeaway was that i just didn't have the right plan for the construction of my deck you know there was a couple of games where i, I led early and had sort of like stretched out a lead with like this really good sort of azalea turn then my deck composition wasn't right to end the game. What I mean by that is that I didn't have the right arrows left to my deck. I didn't have the right pumps. I didn't have, you know, I should have been playing. I shouldn't have been playing a card like uh, Peace of Mind. I had Peace of Mind read in my deck, which just lost me two games straight away because it's not an arrow. It's not a pump. It doesn't do my core fundamental game plan. That card and another, even Azalea deck or particularly Riptide, is going to do a vastly different job. So I just think it's going to be really hard as we, you know, I think myself and my guests like Paul, we've got a challenge ahead of ourselves of trying to articulate the best way to draft and get ahead in this outsized limited format because it's not yeah. easy exactly and i think hayden that a lot of the uh the absolutes and a lot of those consensuses are going to be drawn by um being brave and forcing ideas during your casual drafts like the only way that you're going to um uh falsify like falsify an idea or think an idea is fantastic is basically forcing it you know what what is a rip what does a riptide deck look like with 12 traps if you if you if you're picking every single one like there's different ideas with each hero um you know maybe like a, a like a really hardcore defensive katsu deck like with every zero blue uh zero blue pitch you can find and every d reactant and, and things like that all your brush offs all your peace of minds like there's certain strategies that um, are only going to become known if people out there really force the issue. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that in draft. Um, early format is to, um, before you approach a draft, not necessarily force a hero in this format, but maybe a particular idea if you end up landing on a hero that you want to validate an idea that you have in your mind. And just having that, um, being brave that if you're trying something new and you go zero three, it really doesn't matter um it's it's all about learning and discovery we're in the discovery phase i guess you can say yeah listen to what the tool to me is saying just because i owe through my draft doesn't mean that i'm bad guys right i <laughs> surely please please everyone's six you six owed worlds so that's a, that's all that matters right everyone's hearing zero three and going why do i tune into this rubbish <laughs> uh no 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 so let's hypotheses i think that's what i would call these and that, that is saying okay this is what i hypothesize is a reasonable plan in this draft format and i'm going to go and test it with this draft maybe it's not this draft because i you know i don't want to force it but maybe that i have a couple of hypotheses i want to test maybe it's i'll come to a couple and we're going to discuss them actually but maybe it's a, a you know fully dominated azalea deck it's a really defensive riptide deck like you just saw and as that starts to open up for me in the draft maybe you know i I go down that route and I really test the hypotheses or I, I take picks that I wouldn't normally take to try and go down the route of testing this this um, hypothesis. So on that note, let's talk about some of these. Let's talk about some of our learnings from the weekend, some of the maybe the things that we, we came into with, with some hypotheses that we tested over the weekend or maybe we just stumbled upon things. I'm going to kick us off, uh, uh, Paul, and then maybe we can just kind of go back and forth on this. But one that I will share is my Azalea <laughs> 03 from the weekend. I came into that with the idea that I wanted to draft a dominated, a, a Widowmaker basically deck, a deck with Widowmakers, uh, which if you don't know Widowmaker, this is the one that was defended by less than two cards, it gets plus three, and pumps and uh, defensive options. So I, I took defense reactions, I took uh, peace of mind like I just talked about, I took the Widowmakers I saw and I took all the pumps I saw and I just tried to build this deck that I thought would be very sort of linear of get to be defensive when I don't have the right hand, get through to a game state and then hit them with a 10 damage dominated error a couple of times. And yes, the first uh, Widowmaker might be met with the equipment they have, but once we get the equipment out of their way, we're good to go. So that was my hypothesis. What ended up happening is that the games were a lot faster. There was a lot more damage coming from. I played, I think, two Benji and, and against an Assassin. There was too much damage coming my way. And that just didn't really pan out. My defensive options weren't good enough. 
uh, I never really had the hands line up. And when I finally got my Widowmaker turn, they still had their first piece of equipment. My deck was just too slow. My plan wasn't good enough. So went down the road of testing that hypothesis. Didn't play out the way I thought, but I did learn a lot from that draft. And just to maybe, oh, we can kind of do this, both of us. But the kind of my learning from that was a card like Peace of Mind is a real liability in a, a deck that wants to play the hands when it draws them and be able to flip cards off the top and to be honest not play that many blues that was kind of my learning so i don't know paul what about yourself any anything that you came in with ideas that you wanted to test or things that you found yeah big big learnings um i'll give riptide um a shot here hayden so in uh the sealed pools where i played a uh, riptide you naturally open a lot of traps Okay, uh, I found anyway. So, you know, I was quite successful with Riptide. And then the first time I draft, it was the first ever uh, Outsiders draft I did, I decided to, you know, force Riptide a little bit. And I had this constant fear that I need to make sure I can present enough damage throughout the game. So I valued Red Arrows quite highly. And then at the end of the draft, I realized I only had one trap. Okay. Um, now you might think, oh, the traps, you know, defensive, they're, they're here nor there, but I found myself so many times in that draft, not being able to, uh, not having to pay to put an arrow into my arsenal and then not being able to activate the aim counter and the aim counters getting those extra break points are key. So the trap cards not only are great for you know uh, you know providing defense, giving your opponent annoying tokens, but really in Riptide, they're all about if you haven't been able to arsenal a card in your turn, it's about playing out a trap and then putting an arrow in your arsenal. So when I played another draft, I valued the traps over the red arrows initially, and it paid dividends. Having those you know five five traps, maybe six traps. Um, I just found invaluable in Riptide, just having that ability to be able to constantly get arrows in your arsenal because you may not have a front pump in some of your hands, especially if you haven't seen enough of them. So the traps are the other way to get those arrows in your arsenal for free. Yeah, I, and I noticed you, uh, if people don't know, Tall Tim refers to front pumps as uh, damage buffs, you know, non-attack actions and back buffs as uh, attack reactions. So back pumps. <laughs> back pumps. <laughs> Do you know what? So true. And this is, goes back to what we talked about before about is there a one size fits all? No, probably not. Sometimes it's going to be about realizing when you should take the trap and when you should take the red arrow. You know, I think you'll find a happy middle ground. Do I want to take, you know, infecting shot over a trap, but then maybe I take a trap over a red uh, spire sniping, for instance, right? There's going to be times and card valuations that are going to be different, I think, which is really interesting. The one thing I want to say on traps is if you're looking at this from a a bit more of a, a mathematical standpoint maybe you're trying to understand the value of these traps in riptide you just gave a great example there four card hand i play my trap from hand i get a trigger off my riptide let's say so i'm looking at a zero for four already now i get to reload that arrow that's going to save me either one resource on my turn or it's going to actually allow me to use my bow to flip up the card and give it that plus one uh, attack with, with an aim counter so you're potentially looking at a very easy zero for five off your traps in riptide there are four zero to five and that that is huge and i think that's a good way to understand just how strong traps are in riptide on the flip side if i've got my traps in azalea like i was doing what am i getting from these so often i'm getting zero for three or sometimes i'm I'm not even getting that if, if it, you know they don't come in with a three attack and i just have to block with it or i'm getting a card that is just a dead card off the top of my deck or in my hand that isn't doing it's not contributing to my main game plan so you know already we talk about ranger and the strength of a trap in one deck versus another is 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 wildly different Mm. And um, I guess uh, a light bulb moment we had last week during draft was a good friend of the podcast and good friend of ours, Mr. Butcher, was with Benji. Um, so uh, we actually, uh, uh, Nick drafted Benji and I drafted Katsu. And then we played round one. And then round two, I switched to Benji. And we played about six or seven mirror matches. And it became evident very, very quickly at the power level of Benji. And that the play patterns to some might not be obvious at first. There were many times when Nick or myself would, in the late game, block with a card because it's ingrained in our mind to sort of, you know, um, stay on tempo. And then realizing the turn later that, holy hell, if we'd taken that damage and kept that card, 
we could actually just kill you flat out on our turn because that card unlocked that extra two or three damage we needed for unblockable damage that would have got there. So that's another really key learning that I've uh, taken away in these six drafts is the power level of Benji. I'd almost, uh, you know, um, uh, use the analogy uh, like Icelander from Uprising Draft, possibly even more powerful. Um, I think the whole game plan around Benji is to play quite aggressively in the early game, get your opponent opponent down to eight or less health, and then switch your game plan to defensively, and you're basically waiting for that hand that can one-shot them. Mm-hmm. Until you get that hand, you're playing very defensively because you need to preserve your life total with Benji. Maybe you're presenting a couple of Kadachis, and then as soon as you get that unblockable hand that can present six to seven damage, you take the hit, Maybe you have a couple of pieces of equipment to block and you win the game. Um, a lot of people, I think, underrated Benji in our first few drafts. They saw the 17 health as a liability. But if you're on 17 health and your opponents are on 13, 12 or 14 virtual life, it's here nor there. And I think that's how you have to approach Benji. I think Benji is very powerful. Yeah, my biggest takeaway from Benji, I, I did a draft, a Benji draft on the weekend and 17 life. Yep, correct. But look, if I get to turn zero, start my opponent at 15 life, it's uh, it, it, like you say, it is rather, rather doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm already ahead. The other thing as well is even if a grindy game plays out, I'm going to get advantage from that hero ability. I'm going to get my, my faux Ira, I like to call it. I'm going to get that plus one trigger. And then in the late game, I'm going to find ways to push through damage because I have unblockable damage. And one of the things about the set is that I think, especially early on, I think Benji is really powerful early on. I think we'll start to see that power level even out a little bit, but people are still trying to work out how to build their decks. So people are finding these hands where they go, wow, my hands are kind of awkward here because I just haven't got the composition of my decks right. I fell victim to this very much in the weekend. And you know what the worst thing is when that happens? Having your opponent just present unblockable damage that you can't even use your cards for. So I think Benji, my kind of takeaway hitting his draft was, I think Benji's going to be a great week one, week two draft deck. I, I think it definitely is. But even more than that, I think Benji is just powerful, like you say, and we're going to see it sort of live through. My kind of thought was, well, people might default back to Katsu more as they work out the best way to use the combo lines. I think Katsu really re- requires you to know what's in your deck for, you know, Bonds of Ancestry lines, for even just like spinning wheel kicks and all these combo lines, recoil lines, things like that. But um, Benji is, is just as, as difficult to play, I think, and is a bit less intuitive, like you say, but uh, is, is very powerful. So from a ninja standpoint, I actually think ninja might be the most interesting hero in this, in this draft format in, trying to, in terms of trying to work it out. Exactly. And I think LSS were quite aware of Benji's power level. You know, it's not by chance they printed cards like Brush Off, but there's cards in the set that you are going to have to you know, pick up in the last three or four picks from each pack purely as sideboard cards. I think as the meta develops and people really hone into these Azalea decks or these Benji decks that can present unblockable damage, whether it's through an ability, you know, dominate and such, you're going to need cards that you bring in from the sideboard. And these cards were printed in this set for a reason. I think LSS did a fantastic job that they, you know, first and foremost, um, it feels like, a lot of these cards were printed purely for the draft experience. Um, and I think um, a lot of people will realize these, you know, underpowered cards um, are actually there for a reason. Yep. One thing I, I think one of my sort of big learnings about this format already is that we saw it in Sealed and we've seen it translated to drafters. This idea of playing out your hands can sometimes be difficult and you don't want to be giving yourselves a, an effective IP penalty. The cards like Brush Off peace of mind, uh, Ravenous Rabble, Seek Horizon, these cards that allow you to use your hand either defensively or offensively in ways that aren't just maybe the core tenant of your deck. So play an arrow and pump attack with it or uh, pitch come with my dagger and then play one attack. These cards that allow you to go to use your hand a bit more, I think are really, really important. And I think they're actually higher priority picks in draft, especially early on while you're still trying to figure out the composition of your deck. They're safe picks. And I think... You know, maybe I'm, I'm not taking a red brush off in the first three or four picks, but maybe it's not a, a last three cards pick. Maybe it is a, a six or seven card pick. It allows me to play out my hands a lot better. Maybe, you know, Seek Horizon is a first or second pickable card. I, I'm not sure that's true. I think there's a lot of stronger generics, but that card is is good. You know, I think in a weak pack, I could see myself first picking that card to stay open to allow me to 
fit it into any which deck I want. And it's still a zero for four. It's a one card four at worst. And then, you know, Moments Peace, uh, Peace of Mind, sorry. <laughs> I always mix up with Moments Peace from Magic. Peace of Mind, on the other hand, I think is maybe a little bit more narrow because it has a resource cost. It's not a zero cost. So you do need the blues to support it. And you probably realistically need a piece of Seekers equipment to really leverage it. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of a big takeaway I have is I think it, my early sort of tip for drafting in this format is make sure you can utilize your hands to their fullest and draft in a way that's going to allow you to do that. So pumps are, are really valuable for that because they, they have go again on them. How does it say go again on them? Are going to be, are going to be valuable. I think early on in the draft format and, uh, maybe some, some things like brush off are a bit more valuable than you, than you might think. Well, there's a hero that has uh, go again built in to its uh, its ability, and that's uh, little Arachne. Um, I think Arachne. Uh, I think Arachne's strong. Um, I think Arachne can be quite strong, but it really needs uh, a certain deck to leverage off that ability. Um, one thing I've noted, Hayden, is how important pumps are with Arachne because those stealth attacks with the with the on hits. Uh, you need to leverage off those. I don't think, you, you know, if those stealth attacks for Arachne were just vanilla zero for three go again, I don't think the hero would cut it. Um, you really need to set up these hands where you're pressuring one, two on hits every turn, and you need to have those pumps ready in hand that you can get one or two or one of those over every turn. You want to be presenting, you want to get through one on hit every turn, I think, to be successful with Arachne. Um, a card that I really, really like is Razor's Edge. Okay, it's zero cost and it blocks for three. You know, I, I, I've got no problem picking those up in blue at all for Arachne. You know, you can pitch them away, use them for your spider's bite, and they can come in a clinch later to get that break point, to get that uh, get that annoying token um, into your opponent's control. So I think pumps, you need to really, really pursue pumps if you're going to be drafting Arachne, uh, more so than Azuri out of the two assassins. Yeah, if you think if we say red stealth cards, the zero for threes, and if we value the tokens, so blood rot, inertia, frailty definitely frailty and, and blood rot pox in this format as a as two two damage there or thereabouts and we're able to use a blue razor's edge late game to push over our was it already zero for three so that we're getting a two for six effectively that that's that's a that's a that's a good standpoint right either we're you know we're getting two for six or we're getting a card from them uh, plus the the extra one damage and the, the token that that's really big so i i completely agree i think blue razor's edge is a card that's been a little bit I wouldn't say underlooked, but it is. I think it's maybe a higher priority pick than some people might think. It's not just a blue. It's a blue that blocks three. It's a blue that pushes breakpoints. It's a blue that does a lot of work. On the flip side, I think a card like Short and Sharp is, is a lot worse. That's kind of my takeaway. I think that one cost is really prohibitive in some of those decks. It's really telegraphed a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, it only works on your yellow stealth cards, for instance, which is, is a, not the place you want to be. So I think that card on the flip side is a lot more of like a, a card I want to see in Benji, for instance, as opposed to you know, mm. our friend Arachne. I really like also late game with Arachne to be able to play out a three or four um, link in the combat chain and equipment can help you get there. Uh, so for example, the boots that give you go again, if it's a one attack. Elite foot sandals. <laughs> yes. I like them in Arachne. Okay. It can give a stealth card, a blue stealth card go again. Then you can play out or... or I don't know which order you have to do it in. Play your red first. first. <laughs> yeah, play, play your red first, get your Arachne go again, then play your blue, and then come in with another red and a pump. Like you can, you can have these amazing go wide hands where you might be able to stack two, possibly three tokens on your opponent late in the game uh, to close out a game or keep that tempo. So I think Arachne does want to have one or two turns in the game where they can go wide but alternatively arachne can grind and that's what i love about this draft all the stealth cards block for three you can utilize the spider bites to your advantage which are great with arachne another thing i picked up hayden is ordering your stealth attacks okay so if you come in with your spider's bite you really want to i think play out uh your your stealth card with the most debilitating token first because they're going to have to overblock potentially if they just have a handful of attacks because you've swung with your spider bite presumably they haven't blocked it and then you come in with another stealth attack after that with another on hit so 
I think it's really important to utilize that spider bite to make uh, the breakpoints quite awkward for your opponents. So I think that's what I love about this draft format. I think every hero has the ability to uh, pivot between these uh, aggressive turns and these defensive turns quite effectively, whether the arrows block for three, the stealth cards block for three. Um, that That's something I am enjoying, Hayden, yeah. with this format. I like it. Stealth cards block for three, arrows that block for three, ninja um yeah i had to to stop there but um that's why you need all those uh you know come to fights and things like that which i think are fine in uh ninja to be honest yeah i mean there's a lot of i think small things that we've learned from this weekend and my kind of aim with with this pod was to to let paul come on and share a lot of those as well but but myself and i think let's maybe share a couple more and then i want to do pack one pick one with you and then maybe just just go over a few cards that uh you know have to you stood out as it's really high priorities, either just in general because of their generics or uh, because they're just so powerful or because of particular archetypes that you like. So um, my last kind of thing I want to share from like a tip perspective is Seeker's Equipment. Now, Seeker's Equipment, I think, are really powerful. And they're not just powerful because of the defensive ability. You know, people, I think the first thought was, okay, you pair them with uh, Peace of Mind and you've got a, you know, a really good two-card hand there that, that replaces itself with the Ponder. And I think even just playing like two to three Seekers allows you to, you know, stop some of the Benji, stop some of the you know, hits because of, of Arachne, for instance. We just talked about that kind of play pattern there that allows you to maybe do that. The other thing as well is the Opt is really, really big. And it's particularly really important in Azalea. Um, one of my turn zeros where I managed to do a really big turn in the weekend was pitch my blue, crack one of my Seekers equipment because it's not target damage, it's just the next damage you'd be dealt. Opt, see the top card. Great, it's a, it's a red arrow. I play my pump. I reload my arrow, I swap it under, and I come in for 8 Dominate, and my Seeker's equipment has been used to enable that turn. So, you know, it's hard to evaluate the damage that that gave me, but if I had, I wouldn't blindly flop, I don't think, in that situation. So that Seeker's equipment was probably allowing me to enable 5 damage to push through, which is really huge. So that's kind of something I want to share, is that Seeker's equipment and the Opt can be really useful, uh, you know, not, not just in Azalea, but particularly in Azalea. Yeah, exactly. One other, you know, if you don't mind, Hayden, just one other tip I'd like to share with your audience is for uh, pushing someone into a class. Now, in Uprising, you were able to do that to some extent. You could really, you know, the person to your left, you could really pass them a hot potato that that they were going to keep. Okay, it was going to be so attractive. They were just going to be like... Yeah, they, they were just—they were just going to be like, "This is an amazing card," and you could force your opponent into, you know, wh- whatever class it is. You might want to play Fire, and you go, "Okay, I'm going to force my opponent here into Dromai because there's no way they're going to pass that card down." Now, in this uprising set, that is a little bit more difficult because, like you said, with the powerful equipment and the red generics, these are generally what people are picking up early. So I found that as well to keep that in mind that you're not going to be able to force the people downstream early in the draft into the class that you want when everyone's just picking red generics and equipment early in the draft. Some people are picking generics and equipment right through six picks, we found, and they've had 3-0 draft decks doing that. So keep that in mind. Red generics and equipment are, are, you know, early picks very early picks yeah and, and one thing i'll add on to that as well is that in uprising i think sending signals was actually pretty important which it, i i don't think it has been in other draft formats i think it's been, it was a lot easier to do like like paul's saying in uprising you send the card the pack distribution was really tight you knew the pack distribution pretty much down to by the time you got to pick two or pick three sometimes even after pick one you, you knew exactly what had been taken uh that's a lot harder in this format now at top of the show uh before we jump onto the interview with Paul, you can hear me talk about pack distribution and pack breakdown across the the two print runs for a bit of information about how you maybe can do that. But one thing I think in this one, in this particular format with Outsiders, actually reading the signal is once you get into mid-pack and end of pack, that's where you're going to really get rewarded. What's on the wheel? What, you know, when I say what's on the wheel, what's come back to you from your first pack? You know, maybe you noticed that there was two or three Ranger cards. Two class cards of a Ranger being taken I really don't want to be in Ranger at that point. You know, even if I don't know it's the person to my right, it could be the person, my two to my left, I'm going to get punished in pack two. I don't want to be there versus, you know, I hedged early and now all of a sudden I'm getting late stealth cards, red stealth cards. I'm going to, you know what, I'm taking the signal. I'm getting straight into Azuria or Arachne or whatever it is. And I, I think you're going to get a lot more rewarded in the set for reading and uh, a lot less rewarded for trying to send, I think is kind of my big takeaway. 
I'm yeah, 100% on you. I think it is quite easy mid-pack one to get a good feeling of reading what the one or two people, maybe three people to your right are on. I think that's definitely fine. And I think further to that point, uh, to be successful in outsider's draft, you really have to be comfortable to switch. If you have read it wrong and you're getting towards the end of pack one, you can switch. This draft format allows for that. Um, I've tested both, okay? I've, I've tested switching and I've tested being stubborn and uh, switching is definitely more advantageous. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to do pack one, pick one, Paul. So I'm going to open this pack and, uh, you know, we're going to come back. You can hear that sweet crack Ooh. of the pack. Ooh. And uh, you're going to see a cut to Paul evaluating what he wants to take from this uh, beautiful pack. So let's do it. All right here on screen, you do see the pack. This is what our good friend, the tall Timmy, is currently looking at and making his, his, you know, his decisions, his thought process. I'm just going to break down what's in this pack quickly, though. So we do have a pack that has the three generic six class common split. Uh, we've got a 2-2-2 split across the uh, classes. Now, I'll read this out in case you're listening just on audio. So the pack does contain red spring load, blue sick horizon, yellow freewheeling rene- renegades, yellow isolate, blue malign, red twin twisters, blue head jab, yellow infecting shot, blue station shot. Then our hybrid card is a blue plunge. We have seekers leggings at the equipment slot. In the rears, we have wreak havoc yellow, lace with frailty red, of course. And then our foil is yellow descendant, Wave. So, Paul, open it up and ask you, what are the first things looking at this pack that you're that you're thinking about? Okay, there's no there's no really powerful um, red generics. Okay, Spring Load, I am looking at that, but I wouldn't say you know Spring Load is no wreck uh, havoc in red. Okay, um, or it's no red humble, but uh, that's what I'm seeing initially. Um, I'm I'm also seeing the lace of frailty might be okay, but again, pigeoning myself first picking a ranger card seems somewhat awkward. You are you're not you're not passing down a red arrow, so I don't mind that. Um, evaluating it, yeah, there's no equipment in here that I'm seeing that I'd want to first pick. I. I think I would probably go with. I think I'd go with Spring Load um, for a couple of reasons. I think Spring Load is a great card. Um, if you sculpt it correctly and you, and you play your hands out correctly, it's usually a one for five. Um, I'd say more often than not. Um, it's also uh, great in uh, Benji, perhaps. Uh, late game, if you hold another card, it's two more uh, unpreventable damage because it's it's just a two. Um, you know, you, there could be an argument to pick up twin sisters if you if you're thinking of that or a lace, but I just think in this instance, especially for the first pick, I do want to stay open, and I think outsiders draft affords that. So my first pick, Hayden, would be the spring load. All right, talk to me, Lucky and spring load. I will. Uh, I'll add my my two cents as well. I mean, I think I think it's a great pick. I think spring load. Th- Look, one for five might have been underwhelming in other sets. A generic with block two, no go again, and that's at best. It is not on this set. It is a real piece of utility, that one cost, because of the all the two-cost effects. You know, Kadachi Kadachi Spring Load is a two-card seven. Uh, Arachne with, or Azuri with the Spider's Bite, you know, a two-card for six, but threatens to push, you know, effectively be net more damage because of the, the Spider's Bite ability. It's really important. So I think it's I think it's a great shout. The cards I pulled to the front just as kind of my, because I've got the pack physically in my hand, so I have the advantage that this all to me doesn't have. I pulled to the front Spring Load Red, the Lace of Frailty, as you spoke about, the Yellow Wreak Havoc, the Twin Twisters, as you spoke about, and Seeker's Leggings. I think I'm a little bit higher on Seeker's Leggings than, than maybe you are. I really like the Seeker's Equipment. Um, I think with this pack, you know, the Twin Twisters as a pick, you know, there's not a particularly good ninja card and another ninja card in the pack. There's a yellow descendant gust wave and a yellow a blue head jab, which if I can wield the blue head jab, not, not, the, not the worst thing. Uh, I think that card's really powerful. Lace of Frailty you talked about. I think that card is quite powerful. I think it's one of the best pumps you can have in, in Ranger. And there is, you know, two arrows that I would be happy to come back around, a Sedation Shot Blue and a, a, a Yellow Infecting Shot both, I think are very good. So I don't think that, that pick is particularly um, bad either. I think the Wreak Havoc is worse than Spring Loaded, I think, than the Red Spring Load. Um, so I, I think I would be with you. I'd either take the Spring Load, I think, 
or the laces frailty i think i'd probably pass the the twin twisters down and um i think i think i'll tell you what i'll be a little bit different i'll be contrary the contrarian i'll take the laces frailty but i think it's um it's really close there's there's i think five pretty defensible first picks in this pack which is interesting they're all pretty pretty close and power level I think you spawn on Hayden. I would, yeah. My one and two was the was the lace and the uh, in the, in the spring load. So, yeah, I like that pick, Hayden. I think that's a good pick. Cool. Why don't we round out this kind of you know first impressions of outsiders? My time with the tall Timmy. Why don't you talk to me about some cards that you think maybe are first picks that people aren't considering, or just kind of some of your initial thoughts around early picks? We've just done a pack one pick one. I noticed how much you valued the generic there. Talk to me about your strategy when it comes to early picks. <clears throat> um, well, early picks, pack one, pick one, I think we summed it up. I am looking to stay open and unless I'm seeing a, a, a real big bomb um, that we don't really, thankfully we don't have a lot in this set. I think, I think red generics or pieces of equipment is where you want to be at. Um, if I do see quite a few front pumps coming my way in a couple of packs, then I will look to pick them up and move into Ranger. I think that's a safe bet because I think both Ranger classes value them quite high. So I think it's a great signal. Um, I think early pickups, you are able, especially early in the draft, to pick up those important Benji cards because I don't think they're being valued uh, quite highly. Uh, I think traps also are quite important to pick up early. I don't think people are valuing them quite high. We are seeing traps wheel on the regular. Um, so I do like picking up those as well. I definitely want to do some more testing with different uh, Riptide builds, possibly utilizing more traps. Uh, so from my early learnings, that's what I like. I think the red generics, Hayden, just play well in any deck. Um, coming, come, you know, coming in with a, a, a two-card hand with Katsu, uh, swinging with a Kadachi, and then coming in with a Humble, great hand. You know, you you block with two cards and you're coming in for seven with a with a relevant on hit, especially if you're facing against Arachne. Um, it's it's a great hand. So I I think every deck can play the the red generics. That's why they they're so highly sought after. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think the those ones that are two for sixes, I think particularly go into every deck because at worst they're they're a two for six. But you know, at best they can be a two for seven with something like Kadachi, or uh, maybe you have a piece of the chest equipment, which I think are very high picks, Silken Gi and uh, Tunic, Three Bear Tunic, to make your two card hand, you know, with something like a Spider's Bite, uh, also a, a a two a three card seven. Um, sorry, a two card seven. I I do I think the other thing as well, my kind of takeaway is I may be a little bit more bold than you, I think, at the moment in terms of some of the cards I'll I'll take early. I'm I'm not necessarily like I would take a twin twisters, I would take a laces frailty from this pack. Um I don't know if that's gonna be correct. I'm really interested to see kind of you know, I'm not I'm never married to my first pick. That's something I really want to point out to people is that maybe I take this lace for lace of frailty as we spoke about. Doesn't necessarily mean that's gonna make my deck. You know, uh, I might start to I might take a generic after that, a piece of generic equipment, and then start to see assassin cards coming my way. And I'm happy to pivot and put that lace of frailty down i don't have to play my first pick if i think that my first pick is over and away just such a powerful card that i think it's correct to take it and hedge on it then then i will and i um i'm interested to see kind of where that might lead in this format um like you said maybe the best way is just to stay as open as possible versus hedging a little bit but we will we will see we will see for sure i'm excited to draft more i know you are we're about to do it we're gonna do a draft tonight actually so you know i'll give you the recap on that as well uh, two cards, two other quick honorable mentions that I'd like to say, Death Touch and Virulent Touch. Okay. To me, those cards are, they're game enders, right? They, they, they really are. They can, they, can, they can pivot a game and they can get you tempo or maintain tempo, unlike I think any other single card. Um, so if I do see um, Red Virulent Touches or Red Death Touch, safe to assume the people next to me um, are not playing Azuri or Riptide, perhaps. So I really, really uh, like those cards and I will pick them aggressively. Even Yellow Death Touch and even Yellow Virulent Touch in Riptide, I've got no problem playing that card at all. I think they're fantastic. Cool. Well, uh, if you haven't already, go and check out the Talk To Me YouTube channel. Oh, I want to say a massive thank you for joining me on Limited Time Only. We have a bunch of great guests coming on. We have in the next few weeks, we've got the number one limited ranked ELO player in the world. Freddie from Germany will be joining me. Uh, 
thank you again, Paul. Just want to say, give you one last chance to, I guess, plug anything you want to or anything coming out for yourselves. Uh, they can People will see you in Baltimore, right? So go make sure you check out, say hello to the Tall Timmy. Yeah, cheers. Uh, you, can, you can follow find me on Twitter. You can find me on the YouTube. You can hit me up however you would like. Um, that's right. I will be in Baltimore. Looking forward to it. Going to be playing in the calling. And um, I've got some big announcements, Hayden, coming um, that I'm going to be doing with MinMax on the Friday, MinMax Games. So uh, keep an ear out for that. I think it's going to be a great event, and I can't wait to see the pros draft outsiders. It's going to be fantastic. Awesome. Well, until next time on Limited Time Only, we will see you in the next episode. Cheers, Hayden.